What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the Cleveland Pulse podcast. I am one of your hosts, Justin Harold, and with me, as always, Jeff Santo. We got a lot to talk to you today about. Uh, we're going to talk about the 2020 offseason so far, our thoughts on uh, the moves that have happened so far, and the moves that are still possible during this offseason for the Cleveland Browns. Um, we're going to go over the 2020 season the regular season. We're going to do some game-by-game -game predictions, and then we'll give you our closing thoughts on everything that we discussed and uh, a little bit going forward. So, Jeff, what are you, what are you uh, thinking about this one today? I'm excited, man. Let's get into it. Got a lot to talk about. Hopefully, you know, try to make it similar in length as last week, and and just a lot of a lot of notes to go over. Right. There, I mean, there is a ton to go over. And, you know, we talked about last uh, last season and everything. So I just wanted to list a few things off before we really got into our topics. And that were some of the stats from our last season with the Browns. Uh, they're basically just player stats. Kind of wanted to give a baseline for some guys going into this next year. So first, obviously, we're going to start off with Baker. Uh, a lot of people, you know, did not like his play this year coming off of his rookie season. Uh, he had 3,827 yards passing, 22 touchdowns passing, 21 interceptions, and a completion rate of 59.4. The interceptions is obviously the most glaring. He basically had the same amount of passing touchdowns as he did interceptions. Not great. Looking for vast improvement in the interception department specifically you know touchdowns hopefully we can get more out of him this year but in general not a great season for baker then we move on to what was probably the one and only bright spot on the offense this past season which was nick chubb nick had 1494 yards rushing eight touchdowns on 298 attempts and he averaged five yards attempt for ninety-three yards point or ninety-three point four yards a game. Chubb, I mean, you know, when we drafted him, we had Carlos Hyde, we had Duke Johnson. I didn't expect him to do a whole lot. Jeff, he's been such a, a surgence of a player. What are your thoughts on Chubb exactly? Yeah, that that's a great question, Justin. Um, I'm gonna be sh straight up honest when when we started giving him reps. I was I was a, not a Nick Chubb believer, um, believe it or not. I know you know his college background and and he was a pretty good player, but I, I really thought that you know I thought Carlos Hyde was going to be the workhorse for that team, and uh, thankfully it didn't. That didn't turn out to be the case, and Nick Chubb really burst on the scene. But yeah, you know with our with our improved offensive line, which we'll obviously get to, I'm expecting. And, you know, I got high expectations for him, rushing leader this season. Let's go. Yeah, coming into second place, and I think a lot of people in Cleveland, the team itself, feel pretty cheated by the fact that, you know, Nick, I think Nick did the most as a running back um, when it came to rushing that any running back could do with the play calling that we had last year, which was not good at all. Uh, I think Chubb's going to be phenomenal this year. We could see some pretty scary numbers from him in general some that are above way above the regular and the norm for running backs but moving on we got our two wide receivers which i think this is interesting to look at both odell and jarvis had over a thousand yards 
The thing that I think most people are upset about, though, is the lack of touchdowns that we got from the two. OBJ only having four and Jarvis having six. Um, Jeff, when you think about these two, what do you think about those numbers and what do you expect for this next season for them? I mean, I think a thousand, you know, receiving yards should be expected, but even, you know, to, to how you really open this episode, I mean, Baker with, you know, 21 interceptions, if, if he could cut that in half and, you know, maybe tack on, you know, eight, eight or so more touchdowns, uh, I think you're, that's where you're really going to see OBJ and Landry's production as far as getting in the end zone go up. And I think that's what the offense desperately needs. Right. And, you know, for me, when you look at this past season and how poorly the Browns lived up to expectations going 6-10, and 10, uh, worse than the season prior to that, um, you really have to wonder, you know, were our expectations so astronomically high that a thousand yards by two wide receivers on our team is viewed as something bad and something poor. And, you know, four touchdowns, six touchdowns, obviously from Odell, a lot of people were probably expecting him to have six touchdowns and maybe Jarvis to have four. It's really a wonder to think that, you know, we're kind of slandering some of these numbers to the point where, you know, they're viewed as bad, whereas on other teams, they'd be viewed as considerably high for two wide receivers of those marks. But moving on to that, we have David Njoku and Rashard Higgins. Jeff, we didn't really talk about these two too much in the last episode, but I had this brought up by my dad that, you know, those two we didn't see a lot of last season because of Freddie Kitchens and his whole agenda of, you know, trying to be a strict coach and trying to be one of that demands um, respect and everything. These two were almost, they were banished to the shadow realm. The Yu-Gi-Oh reference, <laughs> if you get that. But, uh, they, I mean, Richard Higgins was possibly injured for three games, two games, whatever it was. But after he came back, he still didn't see the field for whatever reason because of him and Freddie Kitchens having a falling out. And was one of Baker's, you know, biggest, you know, favorite targets from the season prior to that. Absolutely vanished. Only had a touchdown and only had about 80-some yards in receiving. And Njoku, yes, he got his hand hurt. He broke his hand. But he still was someone that I was expecting to have a huge season. Only ended up with 41 yards and a touchdown. You have to think that going into this next season, those two will not, you know stay in the doghouse and stay off the field like they were last year and should just have better numbers in general, right? You would think, and honestly, this is part of, you know, maybe when the wheels started to fall off, so to say, last year, that you could almost almost put out a theory that Njoku and, you know, Hollywood Higgins were those two guys that, that maybe, especially thinking about it, thinking back on it, you know, they were hurt. And they kind of saw how the team operated almost as like bystanders, like from the sidelines. And they kind of might have been like, I don't know if they tried to go around kitchens to, you know, make like a complaint or, or something. But like you said, I mean, it, it seemed like even with their injuries, kitchens and, and even Dorsey a little bit kind of had it out for them. Like in Joku specifically, it was kind of like, you know, he was almost pushed to the side and we saw, you know, Higgins tweet multiple times like, oh, he just wants to, you know, contribute, which is is one of my talking points for, you know, the offseason re-signing him. You know, he wanted to come play with Baker. So I think that's a huge step 
for the organization as a whole, you know, since even 2000, you know, uh, a guy that Hollywood Higgins, we drafted, you know, wanting to re-sign, taking less money to come play with Baker. That's, that's a step in the right direction. I feel. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about the wheels falling off the bus, that's a great standard. The next person you can even point to this is where things went absolutely wrong. And this might be the absolute point of that. All of the wheels came off at this point. Miles Garrett, uh, I'm just going to go over the most notable fact. He had 10 sacks in 10 games. Um, obviously, he got booted out of the league. Well, not booted out of the league. He got suspended by the league indefinitely after that Steelers game. Uh, was on track to have 16 sacks. I mean, these are just numbers that, you know, they contribute a whole lot to the defense in general. And his play rises the level of everyone else's play. With him off the field, it was just, you know, awful to see, and you could tell with the play from our defense the rest of that season, it wasn't great. Our next person is Joe Schobert, who, you know, I, I note Joe mostly because of the stat of 133 tackles. Um, it's just astronomical to think that a guy like Joe Schobert would not be on this team anymore, and yet we're going to get into that later on. But those were just some stats from last season. Let's let's move on to, you know, what what's going on in the offseason for the Browns right now. And obviously, we ended the last conversation with head coaching and what we, you know, think about the head coach and the head coach position in general. Jeff, for you going into this search, did you have anyone that you know that you wanted uh, in particular, I had my set of three guys, but I would like to hear what your thoughts were on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems it's always, you know, seemingly a, a coaching revolving door. Um, you know, we bring them in for, for a year, maybe two seasons, and, and probably the second season we just didn't want to look for somebody, so we just, you know, bring the same guy back. But, I mean, obviously everybody knew Kitchens was, was basically gone, especially with how the season played out. And, and there was good, you know, there was, a, there was a good crop of people to pick from, I think, for, from the first time in a while. Some coaches who, who kind of just got ran out of their, their old teams. I mean, you know, Ron Rivera was a big name that I think that uh, a lot of people were, were set on, and I would have been, been pleased with him. He probably was my number one pick, and it, it kind of seemed like our, uh, our higher-ups, you know, uh, our top-of-the-organization structure kind of seemed to be you know, messing around, you know, treading on, on thin ice for most of the uh, application process and who we were interviewing. And that happens when, you know, you're basically exchanging the whole organization. I mean, Kitchens leaves, Dorsey leaves, and you got to do two things at once. But I'm curious to, you know, hear your thoughts. We talked about it a lot, you know, even before the, uh, the Cleveland Pulse became a thing, came to fruition. So I'd like to hear more of your reasoning behind who you wanted. Yeah, so you know what? We we got into that. You wanted Ron Rivera. You said obviously. I think everyone who was anyone wanted Ron Rivera. The the Washington Redskins. You know they hopped on the the boat before we did of firing our head coach and getting into that search faster than us and everyone else included that ended up getting a new head coach this past off season. So he lands with Washington. So at that point, you know I had three people that I was looking at to. You know, they were top names for head coaching positions. And so my number one guy 
was Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator. The work he did, the work he has done in uh, San Francisco with that team is just phenomenal. You look at them, they went to the Super Bowl last year. They played a pretty, you know, decent game, pretty good game if you look at Patrick Mahomes and what that Kansas City team usually does. Uh, He was probably my top guy. Second was Eric Benimini who was the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's still the offensive coordinator. Uh, You look at what he did with the offense for that Super Bowl championship team and what they did against the 49ers, you can make the argument for both of them being on the same level of um, talent and being uh, a want for the Cleveland Browns. And then I think the one person who was everyone's favorite for the Browns was Josh McDaniels. And, you know, with Josh, it was just a rumor that, you know, for the longest time he's been wanting to get out of New England. He had that little incident happen where he was going to be the Indianapolis head coach and ended up backing out after he had said he would do it. You know, I never placed Kevin Stefanski into that argument, mostly, mostly because of the fact that he was our top guy last season when we signed Freddie Freddie Kitchens, and I felt that we had did him dirty, and that my thought with him was that he would never want to come here. Why would he ever want to come here after what we did to him last year and after what he saw happened with Freddie Kitchens? And I was wrong. I was very wrong about that. I was even a little bit upset that when he signed with us, mostly because the night before... He had taken a pounding uh, with the Minnesota Vikings against the San Francisco 49ers. Jeff, I don't know how you felt in that moment, but what were your thoughts about the Kevin Stefanski signing? I, I definitely agree with you know your premise that he wasn't even on my radar. I'm sure, obviously, now he was on you know the organization's radar, maybe from the beginning, but it was almost to the point where even the media and the news was local news wasn't even really talking about him being a possibility uh, among a lot of the other names, but that's usually how it goes. I mean, they're going to, they're going to jump to the big names, you know, the, the Mike McCarthy's even and the, uh, the Ron Rivera's, et cetera. But I think that a lot of people, especially some, most of the fan base was like, well, Sala was, you know, on, on the list. And then, you know, Stefanski, they, they kind of get run out of the building. Their offense doesn't, you know, score a whole lot. So I think that was just, like, bad timing almost. But, you know, I'm content with the hiring. Um, I'm excited for him to get to work. It's it's interesting how there's reports he already has moved to, you know, uh, uh, the west side of Cleveland area, and he's, he's already, like, been out in communities, which I think even before, you know, anything on the football side starts, that's, you know, a, a great sign. Right. And you know what everyone was talking about last year with Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey and Baker Mayfield was there. There was an alignment that, you know, they all had the same ideas and they all were on the same page. And we go forward, we fire Freddie. We still have John Dorsey at the time. We hire Kevin Stefanski and then John Dorsey is out the door. He's gone. Uh, So we have to look for a new GM. Some are thinking that Paul DePodesta is going to be the GM. But that's not the direction we went. We went and got Andrew Barry, who was with us prior to leaving to go to Philadelphia, uh, is one of the youngest GMs in the NFL. And 
for me, I thought that this was a fantastic move in the terms of having alignment. And, you know, to think that a team, an organization from top down could be aligned in a perfect way at the very beginning of a new relationship was almost impossible for me. And even though I liked the move with Barry, I didn't know that they were going to be on the same page so quickly. And Jeff, before we get into the acquisitions and the losses that we made for this offseason so far, what were your thoughts on Barry? You know, I, I like Barry. I like the... Um... I think I think there's just a couple things to talk about, like you said, with the alignment. I, I think that it's interesting because me and you are kind of, you know, we're 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 pretty young, you know, for NFL fans, and I, I feel like we're really seeing the transition of the league. Um, a lot of these older coaches and older quarterbacks, you know, these these pocket passers are, are, are you know, they're retiring. A lot of them are getting older. You know, Brady's getting older. Big Ben's getting older, and uh, you know, the Mannings or Peyton's retired, obviously. And Drew Brees is getting up there, but you know this this past season we saw, you know, Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, and you know the the age old saying is defense wins championships. But I think even though it could be an outlier year, that might be changing. You know, the younger there's there's an, almost a new way of playing football. So Andrew Barry being young, Stefanski being a younger you know head coach. And I really think that that makes sense for the way the league's going. They're going to bring new ideas to the table. They're going to, they're going to, you know, brew up new offensive schemes, new defensive schemes. They're going to navigate free agency different. And, and the only, you know, asterisk here is when you like search Browns GM on, on Google, it says Andrew Barry is the Browns six general manager in the nine years of the Haslam's ownership. So if this scheme doesn't work and, you know, if we give this scheme two to three years, the Barry Stefanski scheme, and that doesn't work. It, you got to blame. You got to put most of the blame on the Haslam's running the organization, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know what? You talk about the league moving in a new direction. With Kansas City, I don't know for sure that I would say they're running in a new direction. I think that with Andy Reid, he's doing exactly what he did in Philadelphia with LaShawn McCoy and Michael Vick and Deshaun Jackson. But even that Eagles team, they didn't have as much firepower as I think the Kansas City Chiefs of today have. And that's one way of thinking about how they won their Super Bowl. But if you look at the San Francisco 49ers, which I think is how a team should be built, I think they are the perfect example, and I think they're going to be Super Bowl champs in the next, at least next two to three years. They will be Super Bowl champs. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and their GM were hired together in the same frame of mind and have developed that team through draft picks and through, um, you know, bad seasons. They had two, um, two bad seasons before this, you know, outbreak of a season going to the Super Bowl and everything. And that's where, you know, I think teams are going to start moving towards when they, you know, they fire their head coach. They kind of do a clean sweep of the whole top down, except for the owners, obviously. They get a new GM and they get a new head coach right at the same time that so that they can be organized and that, you know, they can have the same frame of mind going into the offseason and building a team through the offseason. And with building a team through the offseason – and getting to that point of being aligned, 
the very first move that the Cleveland Browns make this season was to sign Johnny Stanton. And so, you know, Johnny Stanton, he's not a very big name for by any means. But if you know Kevin Stefanski and you know the schemes he runs, he likes to have his fullbacks and he likes to have his two tight end sets. And so his first two moves, the first two moves that Andrew Barry and somewhat Kevin Stefanski make in the offseason are for fullbacks. You get Johnny Stanton as the second fullback behind, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting on the, the fullback's name, Ham, something, I think it's C.J. Ham from Minnesota. Right, right. Where, obviously, Kevin Stefanski comes from, he comes from Minnesota, and Johnny Stanton is one of his fullbacks. Uh, he gets that guy. Then he gets a guy, in Andy, and I'm going to probably screw up his last name, uh, Djokovic, Jonovic, I, yeah, Jan- I think it's Jonovic, but... He's we trade for him from Denver. So now the first two moves are for fullbacks, and you can obviously tell what kind of scheme Kevin Stefanski is telling Andrew Barry he's going to be running for the offense. And to continue the additions through the offseason, which we were paper champions last season, right, Jeff? I think everyone That's and their mothers absolutely. would would say that we were the paper champions of the last season. And you know, that didn't end up working for us. We ended up not being anywhere near a championship-caliber team. But, Jeff, I'm I'm sighing right now to even say this again. But I think we were we were the 2020 offseason champs again. And the first, the first two signings of the offseason for the Browns are probably the two biggest at their positions. Jack Conklin... Right tackle from Tennessee Titans. He's gonna gonna be an instant starter as a previous Pro Bowler. Just one of the best signings in free agency, and then probably the biggest shocker because it was the first real big free agent signing before even before Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper, tight end from Atlanta. Jeff, what what were your thoughts about those first two and just kind of. I have to imagine that you were surprised, like I was, that that Hooper signing was the first thing to happen. Absolutely. I think looking back on OBJ's offseason, you know, and and everything that happened in the Browns organization in in that offseason, it it was kind of like, wow, like how could this really be topped? But then I think, you know, going going into this offseason, the Browns might, they might have topped it. I mean, Austin Hooper, talk about, you know, a lot of a lot of people weren't being moved around, and a lot of signings weren't happening, like you said. And and we go out, and, you know, pay a tight end. Uh, we know that Stefanski, like you like you've said, likes the tight ends. We know Baker likes the tight ends, and and Conklin just to sure up the offensive line. I mean, talk about just it's it really is seeming like the Browns know who they want and what they want in the previous two off seasons. Yeah, and even more so, you know, last season with OBJ and Olivier Vernon, those were high-end talkative moves, and so is the Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin moves, but they're more so fits than what OBJ and Vernon were last year, and I think that's the biggest thing with this offseason, is what kind of fits were we getting with the people we signed and we acquired? And so I'm going to keep this list going. B.J. Goodson, middle linebacker, Green Bay. He's going to obviously take the place of what Joe Schobert was in terms of being a run stopper in the middle. 
uh, Case Keenum, backup quarterback for for Baker, which I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of comments on, a lot of thoughts on. We'll come back to that, but I just want to keep going down the line. And the first half of the free agent signings, this is in order, by the way. Um, JoJo Natson is a wide receiver slash special teams punt and kick returner. Uh, but so those first few moves are all for the offense, which I was, you know, I was shocked. I didn't know that that many offensive players were going to get uh, swept up that quickly by us. And then it's almost like a whole 180 for the rest of the acquisitions we made in free agency. We go Andrew Billings, backup D tackle. It's going to shore up a nice defensive line. Uh, Andrew Senjo, the safety from Minnesota, who's a veteran. He knows the game. He's been there for forever. Kevin Johnson, a first-round pick from Buffalo, who hasn't exactly panned out. It's probably going to be either the third string or, you know, a nickel. Someone who fills in and is a quality backup just in case people get hurt. Uh, Adrian Claiborne, a backup DN, who I honestly, I think he's a little bit under under the radar in terms of our signings. I think that's kind of huge with the amount of, you know, lack of play we got from Olivier last year. And then the probably my favorite signing of the whole offseason, Carl Joseph, for, former first-round pick from the Raiders. This dude, when he is healthy, just lays the wood he absolutely demolishes people, and he's good in coverage, too. He's a fantastic strong safety, and he's going to do some great things. You know, a lot of these guys were signed on one-year deals on the defensive side. Carl Joseph, I'm hoping, gets that opportunity to have a very healthy and a very productive season for the Browns, and I hope that in the future we offer him an extension. Um, Jeff, give me give me your thoughts. Give me your opinion on some of these signings, what were your what were your you know major thoughts? Who who was a favorite? Who was a under the radar guy for you? I th- I think Carl Joseph is a great talking point. I mean, I was even surprised you know when we signed him. I'm pretty familiar with his track record. You know, playing in in the AFC North, but I think we shored up a lot of we put a lot of, you know, the cogs together to make the whole, the whole wheel work, so to say, in the sense that we didn't sign huge names in a lot of the defensive positions, but, you know, we, we picked up some guys that have high ceilings, still high potentials that could really, you know, do big things for us, even if it's for one year, you know, they have to come in if somebody gets hurt. But I think an interesting talking point, which might be a little bit overlooked about, which is interesting that with everybody you named and everybody we signed, and I guess hindsight is 2020 when you look at it, but I think we might have jumped the gun a little early on Case Keenum. I understand that it, we, we kind of shored up, you know, uh, our backup quarterback, but thinking about who, thinking about Cam Newton still not being on a team, and I 100% think that if Cam Newton is not a starting quarterback this year for an NFL team, you know, that that's a disservice to him, especially with how good we know he could play and, and, you know, how, how great of seasons he's had in the past. But, and I, I really don't think it's that realistic to think about him being a backup, but imagine if we could have, you know, maybe brought him in as a backup instead of Case Keenum, if we would have waited a little bit longer, I'm sure someone's going to, you know, make them make him their starting quarterback. But just thinking about Cam Newton in a Browns uniform, you know, 
kind of got me excited a little bit. You know, I saw a player that I like, a player that I think, you know, paved the way for a lot of these younger quarterbacks who are, who are, you know, a little bit mobile and have great arms. So if we could have brought him in as a backup over Case Keenum, I think that that would have been interesting as well. Jeff, as much, as much as I would love and go to bat for Cam Newton in any other situation for the Browns, I have to disagree with you because of... I had a feeling you might. You know, I love, granted, I love Cam Newton. I, you know, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks. He's up there with Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and my favorite and who I think are the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. But the way he goes about his business is a little bit too much like Odell for me. And I can't have those two guys, Odell and Cam Newton on my team, while I still have my hopeful franchise quarterback to cause that kind of drama and problem situation case keenum for me is the guy who he's gonna come up he knows the backup or he knows he's the backup he knows the situation of the organization and granted if things for the worst case scenario go wrong with baker mayfield and either he gets hurt or he ends up having a bomb start to the season bomb as in bad, uh, Case Keenum's going to come in and he's going to fill that role service, serviceable. Um, he's going to be serviceable. But I couldn't I couldn't agree less with the fact that, you know, Cam Newton is a guy that we would want just for the situation we're in right now. But to, to your credit, I do think he should be signed somewhere. I do think he should be the starting quarterback somewhere. A lot of these teams that are, you know... I think my biggest one is still the Chargers with Tyrod Taylor. You know, Tyrod, he's an he's a okay quarterback. I wouldn't say he's good. I wouldn't go any further than good. But Cam Newton, with the talent that's on that Chargers team on the offensive side of the ball, I would give him a chance there. But, you know, moving on from that point, um, I think Case Keenum is a great addition. I think he's going to help Baker a lot uh, in – in the uh, the film room and on the field as well. But let's, you know, we've talked about the additions of some key players. We have to note the losses that we've had to. And so I'm just going to go in order of who we lost this past season. Demarius Randall, someone I thought who would, you know, who would have gotten an extension this past season, he did not play well. He was actually one of those players that kind of got banished to the shadow realm with David Njoku and Richard Higgins in the middle of the season because of his beef with Freddie Kitchens. Uh, Morgan Burnett, a guy we signed last season because we needed to shore up that strong safety position, have a for-sure starter. TJ Carey, who's a solid cornerback. He's a solid nickel. Um, he'll be He'll be missed a little bit. Eric Cush, who we brought in to be a potential right guard starter. Um, Adrian, uh, sorry, Adarius Taylor, Demetrius Harris, uh, Greg Robinson with his un- unhealthy amount of weed that he tried to smuggle in. Uh, talk about dude trying to alleviate some pain. Um, and then we have the two... The two players that I'm going to miss the most, um, starting with Joe Schobert. Joe will be missed for the fact of his sure play and just being 
the one guy that you can count on for game in and game out. And then probably the pride and joy of the Cleveland Browns defense, someone that I would think is even more of a Cleveland person than what we said Joe Hayden was in past talks and everything. Christian Kirksey, I will miss him dearly. But Jeff, what are your thoughts on some of the guys that we lost? Yeah, looking at the, you know, looking at some of the people who have left the organization, I mean, we're going to need people on the defensive side of the ball to step up. It, um, and it will be sad without Christian Kirksey here uh, this year. Just kind of, I guess, how it all transpired, how he left, you know, being hurt for the majority of the season last year and, and really being just a Cleveland guy. A lot of the fans knew him. A lot of the fans knew uh, like him around the community and, and such. So he's going to be a, a big loss. And, and definitely Joe Schobert. I mean, I agreed with not paying him, but, man, it's it's going to be tough not seeing him on the defensive side of the ball. It seemed like he was – always in the right place at the right time and he 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 knew the game almost more than anybody on our on our defense so you know all, all well wishes to him in Jacksonville and I I hope he has another Pro Bowl um, type year and, and and really shows out for them I, I think they have a, a great player in him but we're just going to need some of our you know draft picks and and younger guys to step up on the defensive side of the ball. And Jeff, let's let's talk about Joe a little bit. So you said that you agreed with not paying him the money, and I was also on board for not paying him the money I thought we would have to offer him. However, he goes to Jacksonville for $10.5 million a year. Do you still think that's too much for what is what Joe what kind of player Joe Schobert is? Yeah, I, I... I, I agree that me and you definitely thought that he was going to get more. And I'm pretty sure I don't exactly remember the timeline, but I'm pretty sure Jacksonville paid him. Right. And then correct me if I'm wrong. And then we didn't bring Kirksey back either. And then green Bay paid Kirksey. If that's the timeline. Yeah, that's correct. So I, I thought, I thought my, pres, my presumption going into it was that we were going to have, one of them I guess and it kind of ended up really sour how we got neither of them but I think I think we probably could have if we were if we knew definitively we weren't paying Kirksey I guess we probably could have paid Schober um I think I think they have such high hopes for Mac Wilson that that they really which I like that they have confidence in you know our younger personnel but I think we probably could have kept one of them around at least one at least you know even if it was a shorter contract you know make sure Mac Wilson really stepped into his role. But I think they have confidence in him, so I, I like that. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of it comes down to what kind of schemes we're going to run on defense and how many personnel we're going to – or what kind of personnel we're going to run. A lot of people are thinking we're going to run something of like a 4-2-5, uh, so have four down linemen, two linebackers, and then uh, five DBs, right. which right. would, which would you know um, – Give some clarification to why we didn't sign either one of them. However, I I agree that you know if you were gonna if you were gonna let both of them go, I kind of would have looked at the market first. B.J. Goodson, if you look at his stat line, he's kind of the guy that's gonna be the run stopper, but he's not great in other situations. Joe Schobert for me is the one player who I probably, knowing, if I had known that we weren't going to keep either him or Kirksky, 
I would have signed him back knowing that we had previously had Kirksky, who had been off the field for a good majority of his career, $9.5 million. If I knew I only had to pay Joe Schobert $1 million more than that, I would have signed that deal. But, you know, it's really a matter of who they got in, in the offseason and what schemes they're going to play. And so talking about more additions, we're, we're going to move to the draft, Jeff. And so I'm yeah, just going to – I got a little side note too, though, and I'm not obviously as big as like I never I never really played you know football at like the levels you did, so I don't really know a lot of the defensive schemes and, and especially what the Browns want to do. But I don't know if you saw it, but I think it was Instagram. I'm seeing these videos from Miles Garrett of him, you know, dropping back into coverage. I know T.J. Watt does it really good for for Pittsburgh, and I don't know how often that happens, but if Miles Garrett could kind of be you know a hybrid as well in the defensive scheme that you referenced, I think, you know, if he is, if, if his, if his game evolves more outside of, you know, just rushing the quarterback and, you know, generating sacks, I think that could be really interesting too. Cause I saw him, you know, running some drills of him, you know, dropping back into coverage, which was, it should be scary for the rest of the league. Absolutely. And you know what, Jeff, I, I do want to get through to the draft just so we can talk about potential right, right. moves that we could make still. We're still in the offseason. There are still yep. a couple of guys that haven't been signed, and I want to get your – me and you have talked about the one player specifically. I want to get your thoughts on on record. But I do want to talk about our draft and who we got. I'm just going to go in order of how we drafted. Dredrick Willis, left tackle. He's that first pick. He's that – absolute pick that we you know everyone knowing the browns our number one need was left tackle and you go in you get arguably who is sought out by many analysts as the number one uh left tackle on the board joe thomas made a huge reaction about it he was he's joe thomas's number one guy so you gotta believe that you know people will fall in love with this guy like we fell in love with joe thomas um, then we get the Greedy Williams of last year in the second round with Grant Delpit, who's a safety from LSU, same breeding ground as uh, Greedy Williams. People will think he's a steal. Uh, D-Tackle is next, Jordan Elliott from Missouri, who was kind of one of those guys I didn't have on my board. But this next guy, who a lot of people, you know, they were kind of upset that we drafted him in front of... Uh, Malik Harrison, uh, OSU guy, but Jacob Phillips from LSU was one of my highly, highly rated middle linebackers. I am super excited. He's almost exactly like my Mac Wilson from last year. He's one of those guys I had on my board. I had him really, really highly rated. I think he's going to come in. And he, he might be able to steal a starting job right away, depending on the type of defense we run. Um, but going going on, then we draft a tight end. Harrison Bryant, you know, continuing that line of getting Stefanski guys and getting tight ends and fullbacks to run his schemes. Then we get someone who, you know, I'm from OSU. I go to OSU. Big old Buckeye guy here. Uh, but we get someone from up north. We get Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, Jeff, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that. But then we end the draft with a center, Nick Harris. And I want to add, I just want to add this note. He was, he was an undrafted free agent, but this is a pretty big signing in A.J. Green. No, not the A.J. Green who's always hurt in Cincinnati, 
but the cornerback from Oklahoma State. Jeff, with all those names, who's someone that, you know, kind of sticks out to you like my Jacob Phillips? All right, so I'm just going to kind of go give a quick little overview. Um, I remember when we drafted uh, Jedrick Wills, you tweeted, uh, you tweeted something to the extent of, like, solid pick, nothing more, nothing less, and I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, protected to his blind side, uh, a, a huge, you know, asset to the success of Alabama and what, you know, Saban was able to do over the past, you know, two or three seasons, especially with, with Tua uh, dropping back. So I, I couldn't have been more thrilled with that pick. Um, I, I think Grant Delpit it is probably, you know, my – Grant Delpit is, is to me, is to Jacob Phillips, is to you, so to say, which is interesting. I mean, I think that especially even when we drafted him, uh, a couple of my, you know, my Pittsburgh buddies texted me, Serious, like Sirius, this could be great draft pick. That love Delpit. Uh, I think a little part of them wanted him to be in a Steelers uniform. You know, they didn't necessarily need him, but he he they probably would have loved to see him in a Steelers uniform. Just a, a, a pure gamer, and I mean, you might as well like. I know it might it might seem cliche, it might seem corny, but you know LSU wins it all. Why why wouldn't you draft people from that team? Why wouldn't you? They've already you know they've they've already been there, so to say. They they have the greatness surrounding them coming from the previous college football season let's 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 go get them it's almost like you know how we talk about draft people from ohio state like i love draft people from ohio state and to get to donovan people's jones i don't like drafting people from michigan i know i'm i know i'm biased obviously growing up as an osu fan and and all my buddies go to osu and i guess it's just you know the culture but i, I didn't like i didn't like uh drafting peppers um a couple years ago and i i really don't I thought Donovan Peoples-Jones, I don't really think he could catch. I really, I don't, he had a lot of drops against OSU. I know it's tough. I know it's intimidating, you know, great, you know, secondary and defense for the Buckeyes. But I really don't think that, I like that we scooped him up at the end. And I think that he could be, you know, if he comes onto the scene and makes a name for himself, you know, more power to him. But I just don't really see how he fits into this offense. Yeah, and you know what? I think they, they took those later rounds for chances and more of a high risk, high reward kind of guys. Um, with, with people's Jones, I think a lot of people, when he went to Michigan, he underplayed what he was, uh, you know, there for. And a lot of people want to attribute that to his drops. And sure. He, he had some bad drops and being an OSU fan, I love that. But, <laughs> He did have I, – I watched some of his tape. He had some catches that were, you know, beyond normal, were NFL-like catches. But I think a fair point would be to say that his quarterback play at Michigan has been very poor for how long he was there for and, you know, just in general how bad the quarterbacks are at Michigan. But uh, besides that, overall, that draft, another reason – the Browns look like paper champions. They got steals, I think, at almost every round, at every pick. Um, I'm very interested to see how Phillips does because of the Malik Harrison pick made after him to Baltimore. I think a lot of people will be surprised with how well Phillips plays. They'll, they'll kind of come onto the bandwagon like, like me later on into the season. But moving on from that, Jeff, it's that time. It's It's my favorite point of this topic 
Let's get into the season predictions. It's and the best so, part of the episode. It is. It's the thing I look forward to the most, just because I love, love, love ramping up the idea of what the Browns could potentially do in this off or in this regular season. And so, Jeff, I wanna, I wanna format this in the way that we do game by game. We don't say our like final, you know, record until the end. Right. So, you know, uh, do you have any, you know, thoughts? Anything that you want to say before? we get into the predictions um no let's get just game by game week by week i think the uh i think me and you could both agree regardless if we just took the off season if we just took this whole off season away and thought about the team from last year i think me and you hopefully for the most part can agree that this schedule in theory knock on wood should be easier than last year's schedule and absolutely i agree you know the nfl comes out with rankings of the or they come out with like a statistic of how the schedules are ranked, and the Browns have one of the easiest schedules. I think they're in the top five for who has the easiest schedule for this season. But let's wait no longer, Jeff. First game at the Baltimore Ravens. It's prime time. I want to hear your thoughts first. What are you thinking? What is the outcome of this game and why? So as an organization, we're moving in the right direction, and you brought it up uh, in the previous episode, I believe. You know, if when when we win, if we win week one, that'll be like a huge stepping stone. You know, win win the opener, you know that would be great. But I have this as an L. We're going into Baltimore. Um, this Ravens team is is going to be mad. You know how last season ended, and it's kind of going to be like, oh, you know, we kind of embarrassed them in the first game, and then the second game of. of Last year's season kind of didn't matter, so you know, chalk that up as however you want it. But I don't, I don't see us being being ready to beat this Baltimore team week one with how ready they're going to be. Yeah, and Jeff, you know what? That's why you're here. You're the one who's <laughs> going to be rational about this. But me, <laughs> I have this as a big old W. We're going in. We're going no into the Baltimore. We're Getting a win in there, and my reasoning behind this is, yeah, you're right, Baltimore's probably going to be upset. They're probably not going to be too happy with how their season ended, but what do they know about this Browns team? They they might think they know what they're getting. Maybe they're getting the same old Browns. Maybe it's going to be a, you know, a little bit of a cakewalk, just kind of like, you know, most years. But they don't know. They don't know who they're getting. They don't know that they're getting a new head coach and Kevin Stefanski, what kind of schemes he's going to run. And they don't know the kind of fire that OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and my boy Baker are going to be bringing to this season. It is going to be our season. It's going to be a revenge tour. They're going to beat the Ravens prime time, and they're going to they're gonna shake some people's minds on uh, what's going to be the, the outcome for the Browns this season. So... With that being I hope I hope J.K. Dobbins gets some carries. I'm I'm gonna be I'm I hope I hope Dobbins I hope Dobbins has a good game. You know I hope I I don't know how they're gonna work him into the scheme, but I was thrilled that he went there. And you know I hate I hate we're gonna have to play him two times a year because I know how good he's gonna be. But if he runs all over us, you know I guess that that could be a positive if even if we lose. Uh, you know what I you know he <laughs> he plays for the he plays for the enemy now, but I would love to have him be the bell cow there uh obviously he's going to be behind mark ingram for some time but you, you know what that was a great pick they got malik harrison as well as i mentioned before they're they're, they're a good team and you know 
more power to us once we beat them and we get that week one dub. But then we move on to, you know, we come home. We come home for our, our season opener against the Bengals. Jeff, I, you know, I said, you, 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 you mentioned it that I said, if we, if we win week one, you know, that's when the Browns are kind of turning things around. I also think you win the first home game of the year. That's also a sign. And you couldn't have what I would think is one of the easier games of this season to open the season with, to open the Browns coming home. The Bengals, I have this as a win. I have it as a win mostly because Joe Burrow will probably be running his legs off the entire game trying to get away from Miles while who knows who he has at wide receiver, if A.J. Green's going to be healthy or if any of his other guys are going to be able to get open with guys like Denzel and Greedy and Del Pitt and Carl Joseph, you know, dropping back. But I think this is going to be a win. I think it's going to be one of those kind of, you know, defiant wins that we have. Yeah, I mean, and even before we, you know, get more into the bulk of the season, I just want to say it like – if if it could be done, you know, healthily, and if that's a word, you know, it with in considering the player's health and you know with everything going on, obviously, but man, do we really need do we really need the NFL, man? Where we talk about it, you know, we were texting during the week, but if, if let's just pray and hope that the NFL season plays, you know, I mean, I feel like this country, you know, the bond that comes with sports and, and the culture and it bringing people together, and in that sense, I think that the this we really need with what you know this country's going through with uh, everything going on we, we really do need sports back and we need the NFL to play so that's just a that's just a little side note but I, I have to agree and disagree with you at some points here I, I do agree that this is a win for the Browns I think we get it done with the home opener but I don't think this is going to be one of the easier games I, I think I don't think Joey Burrow is going to outperform Baker Baker's going to do more to get the win here, but I think Joey Burrow might have a better stat line than Baker in this game. That might be a hot take, but I think it's going to be a close game, but Browns win. That's fair. And you know what, Jeff? In one of these later episodes, I do want to go uh, team by team in the AFC North and kind of rank the positions between the four teams at every position and see what kind of grade you give everyone and what grade I give everyone. But you know, uh, this offense for the Bengals is a it's a pretty good one. I mean, you could you could look at their wide receivers and say they have the most depth and the most talent there, and their running backs with Joe Mixon are pretty good. And you know, the new, the high number one pick of Joe Burrow, uh, you could argue that this team is on the up and up. But I still think that the the head coaching position there isn't fantastic, and I think that you know we'll have Joe Burrow on his heels, and I think you know. He'll throw, he'll throw a couple interceptions. I don't think he'll outplay Baker, though. But, you know, moving on, moving on. So I have two wins right now. We're, we're rolling. Uh, we play the Redskins. And now this is one of those games where I kind of was looking at the schedule and looking how things would play out. And I had this as listed as a trap game, meaning on paper it looks like a win, but could be one of those games we lose. However... I do have us winning this game. Uh, Ron Rivera, I respect very much, but the talent that's on that Redskins team versus our talent and our head coach, I don't really see it happening. I see this as a win for the Browns. How about you? I It's interesting because I have some games later in the season listed as trap games, but, I mean, just think about it. The first three weeks, 
just think about how I don't know. I've I've never been more excited for a Brown season. I might say that every year, you know, till until forever. But just think about it. We, we get to see young Dobbins week one. We get to see you know ex OSU you know quarterback Joey Burrow week two. We get to see Haskins and and Chase Young week three. Oh yeah, crazy, crazy oh, start yeah. to the season. I got this Redskins coming into you know first energy. I got this as a win for the Browns. Yeah, and you know what? You bring up that mention of the first three weeks. A lot of Ohio State players to see. A lot of things to you know, you know, if if they do well, all all the power to them. It makes the Ohio State and us proud. But uh, hopefully those all end with wins for the Browns. But moving on, this is a. Uh, this is where I have our first loss. It comes on the road, comes to the Cowboys. You know, I don't have much respect for the Cowboys. And, you know, honestly, I think any game that you go into, any team that goes into a game with the Cowboys has a very good shot of winning just because the Cowboys are one of those teams where they kind of, they just win and they lose whenever they feel like it. But for me, I can't have us go on a four-game winning streak. It's just too too good for that to be true. <laughs> and I say we lose to the Cowboys. See, I had you outsmarted here because I have them losing week, week one, so they're only on a two-game winning streak for me. And I'm glad <laughs> that this—I'm glad that this game is here because I had this as a win. And I have there's this season's full of hot takes for me, per usual. Some are negative, some are positive, but I think even though it's early, I think week four, I think Mike McCarthy is coaching Dak how he coached Aaron Rodgers at the end of his stint with Green Bay. And I think Jerry Jones is already pissed at Mike McCarthy week four. And that whole organization is kind of in shambles at week four might be a little early. And we go in there and we take advantage of it. And I think we, I think we steamroll them before. I think we beat them by two touchdowns. Wow. That's, I, that's, I'll take that as a hot take mostly because I think that offense is a very good offense. They have the ability to put up some points, but you know, that Mike McCarthy uh, argument is very interesting. I I kind of like it a lot. That's a that's a very interesting. And you know Jerry Jones, he'll want everything his Jerry way. Will. And yeah, if it's not going, if it's not going his way, he'll make I sure mean, it gets back on track. Dak, you know, I mean, does Dak's contract? I mean, it's what is it? It's almost July. They don't even have a contract for the guy. I mean, he no, they do, they much. do. They, he signed. He, he signed. He didn't sign a contract. He signed the tag for thirty-one million. He okay. is. He I saw is a report French. of that. Right. I don't know if it was official. I thought they were just that was like what he was leaning to. But I mean, they have no idea what's going on there. I know they had problems with Amari Cooper. Um, signed but, him to a hundred million dollars. I mean, that's right, something. Right. Um, it just seems like Jerry doesn't. Jerry, the discord with Jerry and the rest of the organization is just too strong. I feel like. It's so weird that that organization is very weird on how they do something. And you know they got CD Lamb, um, or right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got CD Lamb, and you know they're making him the new the you know he's the Messiah, he's the prophet because he's wearing eighty eight. Des Bryant and you know all those awesome wide receivers that have come into Dallas. You know if they're the one, they're wearing eighty eight, and so. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting team and a very interesting game. I'm looking forward to that. I almost, you know, if they allow fans and we have this season, I would I would very much like to go to that game. But, you know, we have to move on. And so we're coming back to the Colts. And so the Colts is another one of those trap games for me where we're at home and the Colts are kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. However, they do have Phillip Rivers 
who, you know, I thought he had a pretty talented Los Angeles Chargers team last year, and he did not perform well. He's kind of getting up in age. He's kind of beginning to digress, throwing a lot more interceptions than he is touchdowns. I I have us taking advantage of his old age and his uh his lack to uh be a pretty standard, pretty above average quarterback. I have this as a win. Yeah, when I was going through this season, I kind of was just trying to you know pinpoint like ebbs and typical Browns ebbs and flows. Like I mean, last year you know we saw we blow out the Ravens and then we lose to a subpar team in the next week. So I kind of took that into consideration. I usually take that into consideration when, you know, picking wins and losses. But I have this as a trap game, and I have this as our first home loss. Um, I do agree with you that uh, Philip Rivers, he's probably – he's on, he, he, a couple more years for him as far as I'm concerned. Um, he didn't play great last year. I don't think he plays great this year. I think he plays great against the Browns. I think they beat us. That's interesting, and you know we're it, we'll we'll have to get into it one day about you know the NFL and the direction it's moving with the quarterback position because there are a lot of those guys now who are getting up in age: Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and you know all the young quarterbacks that we now have with Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, and hopefully Baker Mayfield as one of those guys. Um, we'll have to really get into that topic later on, but. Speaking of, you know, guys that are getting old, the Steelers, Big Ben, we're going to Pittsburgh. Jeff, I'm sure your buddies will have a good time if, you know, Big Ben plays. My biggest thing with the Steelers, it's not how their head coach works. It's not how their organization works. It's a lot to do with how their quarterback is. And, you know, if Big Ben's there, I'm marking this up as a loss. But if he's not, I I think I'm feeling pretty confident that we could take advantage of it. But for now, I'm assuming everyone's healthy, everyone's playing at their best. We go to the Steelers, it's a loss. Oh, I, I was I'm glad you went first because I was gonna say the exact same thing. If Big Ben's healthy, it's a loss. If he's not healthy, we're gonna have to reassess. But I think that this game, while may it be very close at Heinz Field, I think that this would be – I think this will probably be the biggest learning experience for Baker throughout the whole season. I think Big Ben – I think Big Ben healthy will outplay Baker in this game and, you know, show him that – I think that we'll play good enough to win and we'll still probably lose. And I think if we could, you know, take that for what it is, the team as a whole, I think that this – I think that losing this game at Heinz Field – won't be the end of the world and it'll probably help us later on in the year right and that's a good point i think you know you baker uh he's had a lot to learn these past two seasons i think they're not they're kind of hollow learning experiences except for the whole being more mature and kind of just being a down to business type of guy but i think he'll he'll learn a few things during this season as well um the steelers game a good one to learn a lesson from we're moving on, so currently I have us at four wins, two losses. I think you have us at three and three, correct? Uh, yes, three and three after week six. Okay, and so now we're moving on to the Bengals at the Bengals. I I have us sweeping the Bengals this season. I, I just don't think the Bengals are that good of a team. I don't think we should have lost to them at all last year, and I don't think we should lose to them this year. What are your thoughts? So here is – so I have them. Um, 
week two, three, and four, I have them winning. So I so I'm going on a three game winning streak, and five, six, and seven, I have them going on a three game losing streak. I think we dropped this game at Cincinnati somehow, some way. We're gonna make this schedule's easy. The Browns are gonna make it hard. I, I mean, it's just it's almost inevitable. I hope that they don't. I hope that they crush everybody. Um, I, I watch as a fan, you know, with the assumption they're going to crush everybody. But being a realist, being a realistic person, I think we drop this game and we're, you know, it's the, it was, we're at week, week seven. It always seems to be a week six or seven. We start scratching our heads like, oh, we just lost three games in a row. But we're going to bounce back. We're going to be fine. But I have us, you know, three and four through week, through week seven. And that's interesting. You know, we talk about, uh, you're talking about we're on a three-game winning streak and a three-game losing streak. I think when you're on a streak of losing, that adds more to the thought of uh, this next game. like, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen. This could be a loss way more than it could be a win. I think in the NFL, when you start to have that mindset of losing games and you're kind of on a roll of losing games, it just carries. It just carries over, and obviously you can look back to our past seasons of 1-15 and 0-16. and 16. They kind of just roll, and you kind of just can't get over those losses. But that's why, for me, I never have, and I'll tell you right now, I never have the Browns losing more than two games in a row. And <laughs> so we're coming back to the Raiders the week after the Bengals, I have this as another home win. The Raiders, John Gruden, I don't know what they got going on there. I'm assuming that somehow there's a battle between Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota for quarterback. I don't know if he tries to throw Mariota in to start the season with or if it's Derek Carr to start the season with. I'm sure they're going to be struggling at some point and, you know, Gruden's going to try to make some expert choice and expert move. Uh, I don't see him working out that situation and i think this is a win we take advantage of the confusion of the gruden mess but what do you say i think um for up until this point in the season maybe toss up with the redskins i think this is our biggest win um west coast teams don't they don't uh, i don't have the data in front of me but they don't perform well coming over here um I think we're at home. Uh, I think that this is probably the best case scenario. I think I totally agree with you. I think Gruden's lost at week eight, and I think he's probably you know gone after the season. Yeah, and I mean that team. Who knows what they're they're taking all the chances they can, and uh, you know who knows if they're going to be hits or misses. I mean Mike Mayock as a uh, as a GM was a hell of a move. Um, Gruden bringing those two in together. Who knows what the Raiders are thinking, but now we get into the season, part of the season where I'm kind of at my my saddest, mostly because I have us losing our next home game to the Texans. You know, the Texans, another team who has a, what you would think is a dysfunctional organization with Bill O'Brien being the seemingly GM and head coach at the same time. Um everything everything that's going on there uh it's very interesting uh interesting topic to have one day but i have us losing to the texans deshaun watson uh again one of those players who i think he's kind of like a carson wentz where he's a very good player if he's in that game and he's playing i have us losing it what do you think 
Yeah, I think this is the probably the scariest two weeks of the year, week nine and ten, which yep. is interesting because they're both home games. Yep. But I totally agree with you. I think we lose to the Texans. I think both of them are trap games, but I hope we win one of them. But I think we do lose to the Texans. Yeah, and like you said, this next this next week we go against the Eagles at home. I have this as a trap game as well. And the reason I'm the reason I'm saying they're trap games is you know. Deshaun Watson, not always healthy, and this one even more so. Carson Wentz, if not healthy, he hasn't been healthy for almost all the seasons he's been in the NFL. For what a great quarterback he is, he's just, you know, it's seemingly he's never on the field when it counts. For me, I'm hoping he's not on the field when he comes to play the Browns. But again, like I said, everyone's healthy at this point. Everyone's playing at their best. Eagles, that's a loss for the Browns at home. That's interesting because I I have that as a I have that as a win, and I think it's just it's disheartening to you know talk about week nine and ten I feel like because we're better on on paper which doesn't get you very that doesn't get you much but on paper we're better than the Texans and we're better than the Eagles on paper we should beat both of them I think we lose to the Texans bounce back and beat the Eagles five and five after week ten. Yeah, that's interesting. I have us, I have us at a pretty good number right now. We're at uh, sorry, I'm looking at it, six, yeah, six and three, six and four, six and four. So pretty close. Yeah, six and four. You know, we're we're above average. We're better than we're already back to what we had last year in terms of wins. So and we still have six games left. So we go to Jacksonville, and we haven't won. Uh, kind of a, or we have we have won some good games at, away from our home stadium. The Jags is one of those games though where I think we throttle away from home. We just this Jacksonville team's not good. Joe Schober, I feel bad for because I think you know he meets up with his old teammates and they for once have a great great game without him. Uh, this is a win for me. Yeah, I gotta I gotta win here. I mean, we just gotta get it done. Uh, we're, we're, someone's going to be banged up week 11. You know, we're not going to be a hundred percent healthy. It's just inevitable. It's the sport. Um, got to go in there and can't drop. If we drop this game to the Jaguars, I think regardless, unless we're, you know, somehow like undefeated or have one loss, if we drop this game to the Jaguars, it, it could, it could get ugly for, you know, the remainder of the season, but I have us a, a winning pretty, pretty easily. Yeah, and you know, when you said you were looking at the schedule and picking games and everything, this is one of the games where, you know, I have it in between a rough patch of games for us coming in. We're on a two-game losing streak. And then coming out of it, we play the Titans at the Titans. They embarrassed us last last year with uh, Marcus Mariota at the helm. Uh, and I have us losing this game. I think this is the game where we could probably get throttled by a team, um, the Titans, a very good team defensively and a very good team offensively last year. They were, you know, the team to dethrone the Ravens, who everyone thought, you know, was going to rival the Kansas City Chiefs. But, yeah, this Titans game, I, I have us losing away from home. Yeah, back-to-back on the road at Jags Week 11, at Titans Week 12. Um, I have this as an L, and I think it's kind of almost like, there's just some there's just some patterns that you know pop up in sports. I just think the Titans maybe, you know, regardless of who's a quarterback, kind of have our number, so to say. I mean, I I, I hope we don't get blown out, but I, I think it's possible. I think that them matchup wise, the Titans they just give us problems. I mean, even with the new acquisitions, I just think that 
I think that they're even, I just think they could potentially, you know, be better than us even at week 12 of the season somehow. Yeah, and you know what? I, you say somehow. You know what I think it is? I give it a lot of, and you know, it's going to be a reoccurring theme here. I give it a lot of the credit to Mike Vrabel and the way that he has coached sure. that team and how he's run that team. I think it's one of those rising organizations that could, for the next decade or so, be a consistent, consistently good playoff team, um, could potentially win a Super Bowl within this decade, um, but yeah, like I said, this is a loss and it's fitting in that position of kind of coming in and coming out of a two week loss streak and then a win. And then we go into another two week loss streak with the Ravens coming home. The only reason I have this as a loss is because we beat them at the Ravens and I have to give a split to the Ravens at some point. They're just too good of a team offensively and defensively. Um, they're so well coached. They'll have whatever problems they had with us the first game figured out. And I don't think Lamar, you know, outplays us. I think Harbaugh outcoaches us and the defenses have a pretty good game. I think this is a low scoring affair and uh, a lot of frustrations with the offense on both sides of the ball. But I have this as a loss. What about you? I think you have this as a win just because, you know, we lost to them in your prediction at the Ravens, so. I do, I do. And I think just because, you know, the, they, you know, they might have, the Browns might have put themselves in trouble, you know, splitting with the Steelers and the Ravens this season because now I'm just, you know, expecting them to do it. So I got I to gotta split with, I have a split with everyone in the AFC North, you know, just kind of off principle, um, trying to keep it, you know, largely reasonable. I do agree. I think we should sweep the Bengals. Um if we sweep, you know, let's sweep them all. But I think I think we win this game. I think we're at home. I think we play really good at home this year. That's my that's my hope. Yeah, and my you know, when a team can establish the home the home field advantage and I think the Browns if we ever, you know, have a season where we're positive, like through the majority of the season, and that's how I have it as of right now. We are we are always positive throughout the season. Um, we're always kind of up in spirits and we're having one of our better seasons. I think first energy stadium could be one of those, one of those away games for other teams where they come in and you know, they're, they're like, Oh, this is just the Cleveland Browns, but then they get into the stadium and it's rocking. I mean that week one game at home is always packed. It is always rocking. We have some of the loudest damn fans in the land. And I mean, Cleveland is a sports town. It is unbelievably a sports town. Cleveland is their, or sorry, the Browns are their number one sport. And if you're going to tell me that we're having a positive season and fans aren't showing up like it's the home opener, you're dead wrong. You're just dead wrong. There's 16 games in the season. You only get eight games at home. And if you're lucky, you get playoff games. And my God, let me tell you, we host a home game for a playoff game, it'll be even better than the home opener for a Cleveland Browns season. And so moving on from that point, Jeff, that's that's it for me losing. I don't have us losing any more games at this point. We have <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, that's, that's six funny. losses. That's six losses. Because the week the week twelve Titans game is is the last loss I have for them. And oh. I have ten ten wins as well. That's good, and that's that's a good win. I think um, you know ten 
10 wins and you know we're kind of tipping our hand now to what we think the rest of these games are but you know the let's let me just list off giants and jets the giants really want to talk about those games we don't have to they're nerve-wracking to me i I know we both think they're they're dubs but and we got we we but i mean and they're both on the road but like oh my god can we please win those games can we please win those two games yeah i i agree with you and i agree that the you know it could be i but i highly doubt i highly doubt it with the giants especially the giants i don't I don't believe in the Daniel Jones hype. I love me some Saquon Barkley. I just don't think they have anything going on either side of the ball, really, though. The Jets, ah, who cares? Sam Darnold, oh, Colin (laughs) Coward, let me tell you about this, and let me tell you about that. Let let me tell you something. Sam Darnold hasn't played a lot of games. He He hasn't been healthy. He hasn't played a lot of games, and he's getting late into the season. I'm saying they're not having another good season. People are starting to really question what he's doing there in uh, New York, and I say that. Hopefully, a, he doesn't get mono again. My lord, yeah, <laughs> and maybe for once he'll actually be a, a a man and he'll stand up to getting sacked by Miles Garrett. I mean, my God, Miles went off on that deep offensive line last time, and I'm sure he'll do it again. So, but then we have that final game of the season, and I think that this is the greatest game. The greatest Week 16 game in all of NFL and maybe all history of regular season games. This is the Steelers at home, prime time. We're currently nine and five, and you know what? The AFC North. We're a tough division this year. We have three teams. If if we're healthy, if all three teams are healthy, that I think are playoff teams. This is a game. That decides whether the Browns or the Steelers go to the playoffs as a wild card team. And I'm saying the Browns win here. And I'm saying that the rivalry is renewed. The hatred between the two teams has, you know, it started to boil back up with everything that happened last season. But I say that this game is the biggest, baddest game that will be played all season. I think no matter what storyline you have for any other team going into the playoffs, going into the offseason, this is the game people are going to tune into and they're going to be glued to the TV. I think no matter what the injuries are at this point, no matter what the mindset of the teams are, I think that if people are injured, they're going to they're going to play through injury through, for this game. And I think the Browns are going to come out on top. They're going to have a rocking stadium. This is going to be loud. This is going to be hyped. This is going to be possibly one of the greatest games in Browns history. I have it as a win. Yeah, I think it's interesting because you're saying that that could be – I think that could be a game for the division. I'm sure the numbers and the math probably don't work toward our favor, especially with probably how good the Ravens are going to be, but – you're saying imagine that game being for, you know, a wild card, but imagine that game being for the division week 16, you know, at first energy. I mean, that would be crazy. I have us finishing the four game winning streak week 13 to week 16. I have us win four in a row. I have us beating the Steelers team. And just a side note, just an asterisk. If, if this game is for, you know, a playoff spot, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to be as a fan, I'm going to be thrilled. It's going to be, you know, against the Steelers. If it's for a playoff appearance, even, you know, if the outcome isn't what we want, it's still going to be, I mean, you can't, you're can't. you not going to be able to say it, 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 it 
it, it was a down year. You know, if it's week six, if it's week sixteen, we're playing for the playoffs. We've, we, I'm not saying get content, but we've already had a successful season. I got us ten and six. I don't see us winning more than ten games. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I see us winning less. You know, if you know, if things go, if things go Browns mode, I see us winning less. But I have us ten and six, and I have plus playoff appearance. Plain and simple. I, I have the same exact notes, except I'm going to be on the more optimistic side. I have us at the potential of winning more than 10 games. I don't – obviously, we could I, – I agree that we could lose more. I do think we can win more, though, as well. Um, playoff appearance is in my, in my field of view. I can see it happening. I can read into it. This season is going to be the one that I think defines – the Browns defines the new decade for the Browns, the new decade of football for the NFL. I think you're going to see a lot of in or out with the old and in with the new with a lot of teams making new changes and making strides towards being better. And I think this is the season. I know we say this every year that this is the season and then at the end of the season there's always next year and all this and all that. This is the damn year. This is the damn Absolutely. year. The Browns are going to put it all together. We're going to have it figured out. We're going to get it done. We're going to be a playoff team and this decade is going to be one for the history books for the Browns, I think. It, it only makes sense. I mean, I don't I, I'm I'm someone who really doesn't believe in like coincidences. I think if something happens, like it was gonna happen for the most part. Um, I'm sure with a few exceptions, but it just it just seems like so it just seems so like unlucky Cleveland to me. And I'm sure you might feel the same way. Like I feel I have such good like optimism and energy around this team. And like of course, um, this is the year that you know sports are on hold. The NFL, I mean, the NFL realistically might not play. And it's just, I mean, obviously there's bigger thing, things than, you know, um, like American sports, especially when it comes to people's health. But it's just it's just interesting to me that all of this is going on, and it seems like me and you are, are kind of on the same page that, you know, this team could be in the playoffs at the end of the NFL season. Absolutely. And so with that, that's the end of uh, this podcast. Jeff, I, I don't know. I think that sounded pretty much like your closing thoughts. Do you have anything else to add before we end this? No, not really. I mean, I think these are two good episodes. I, I like the premise. And, and, I mean, bring on bring on football, baby. Bring on the Browns. I mean, I don't think there's any more – I don't think there's a team in Cleveland with more hype around it at the moment. I mean, I think from just a, a intro – like just from the fans of the community – um, I, I think if you're if you're from Cleveland, if you're a Cleveland sports fan, I think you're most excited about the Browns right now. Absolutely. And with that being said, I think we should. I know we we've done the past two as football podcasts, but I think going forward, we're gonna give the Cavs and the Indians a little bit of some air, a little bit of some time. I have some ideas towards that, but obviously. Uh, I will let you all know what the topic for this next episode will be on Twitter and everything else. But Jeff, thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving your opinions. And I'm hoping for, you know, some ideas to share with you after this and to, you know, get your thoughts. But it's always been a pleasure. It always will be a pleasure. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, no problem. I think this is great. I mean, this is basically the highlight of my week and with not a whole lot going on. So 
let's let's keep the topics rolling. You know, follow us on Twitter. Send us send us suggestions, comments. You know, text us off to the side if if you know us personally, and let us know what we could do better and what you want to hear us talk about. Absolutely, Jeff. I I totally agree with that. I have gotten my fair share of texts from friends and family about what you know what we've been doing and how it's been going but i do want to hear a lot more from you know fans people just who might have caught this on the off chance or people who do follow us on twitter and have been listening and have been you know keeping up with us please leave us your comments please leave us your suggestions you know shoot us a text shoot us a dm on twitter do whatever you want leave a comment on you know whatever you're listening this on And yeah, so with that, thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back with the next one. Have a nice time. Peace.